We closed on a house here in El Salvador in June. We've been traveling here kind of a year, year and a half prior to that. We originally came down here to learn about Bitcoin, but fell in love with the people, fell in love with the culture. Corey wanted to learn how to surf, we're dirt biking, we're doing all of that. But we ended up wanting to buy a house here because it's just a really cool place. And um, it's cheaper, easy, like lower expenses than in the States. So that's kind of a little bit of why we wanted to come down here. Also, I've always wanted to learn Spanish, so this is a really good place to do that. And why we decided to drive instead of fly. The truth is it came down to our dogs. <laughs> we looked into the prices of airlines to fly three dogs down here to El Salvador, and it was insane. And we also figured by driving down here, it'd be nice because we would have a vehicle and then we could like bring a lot of our things with us. Electronics are more expensive here. So we brought a lot of that kind of stuff. Corey brought his whole like gym set up down here. Um, we ended up bringing our two dirt bikes down here. So we were able to bring a lot of things and hopefully ultimately save more money by bringing those things with us rather than flying and just paying a lot of fees to get our dogs on the airplane. So that's kind of the background. Hey, my name is Jessica Tolar, and I'm obsessed with all things passive income, productivity, entrepreneurship, and building a life where you make the rules. I'm a normal girl who took a free money class, asked a corporate executive how she retired early, and used that knowledge to build a seven-figure net worth, quit my nine-to-five, and now run an online business from countries around the world. I teach you the simple but effective secrets to building a life you adore. Think I'm special? No way. If I did it, so can you. Money, mindset, life hacks, hardship, growth, and planning are all topics we discuss here. Think of this as a weekly coffee date with a close girlfriend where you talk about the finance and business knowledge it'll take to make your dreams a reality. So take a seat, get comfortable, and prepare to be challenged and cheered on while you learn. This is the Goodbye July Podcast. This episode of the Goodbye July podcast is sponsored by PureGrade Supplements. PureGrade is the all-natural supplement line that I use to get clear-minded, stay energized, feel great, and make every day as effective and efficient as possible. PureGrade is offering 10% off exclusively for Goodbye July listeners. Just go to puregradesupplements.com and use the code GOODBYEJULY at checkout to get started and get your mind and body back today. This year is all about self-care, reprioritizing ourselves and our well-being in our own lives and taking back control of our time in order to make space for the things that feel good to us. I hope your financial self-care makes your list, and that's why I'll be hosting a free one-hour wealth workshop. Join me as we walk through three secrets to building lasting wealth, plus the single most important step to cracking the financial code. I could say I'm too busy with other things, or I could make space for this in my schedule. And this year, I'll be doing both. I will prioritize myself as well as my other commitments. I hope you'll do the same by joining me for one hour of financial self-care. Learn more at jessicatoller.com slash free workshop. Okay, let's get back to today's episode. Before we actually like pulled out of the driveway, we did a ton of research. We were on a bunch of different Facebook groups of people who had actually done a drive like this, the same driver just driven around in Central America in general, because like, honestly, it was scary. I mean, a lot of the things that you hear about Central America are very scary. You hear about like 
extortion and kidnapping and like things that are way worse than that. And it took a lot to just work through the fear of getting the courage to kind of just pull out of the driveway and to decide to do that. But being on those Facebook groups with people who had done it was really helpful because they were able to help put into perspective, you know, most people around the world are good people. You're going to get the bad people no matter where you're at. I mean, there's bad things that happen in Austin. There's bad things that happen all over the United States. There's bad things that happen in Mexico, of course, El Salvador, everywhere. So that was a lot of the mantra that I kind of had to tell myself as we started this journey. So after doing all of this research and planning our whole drive out, we finally pulled out of our driveway on uh, November 8th. And it was under this like beautiful lunar eclipse. We did it. We pulled out of our driveway. I think it was three in the morning because a lot of the research told us that we shouldn't be driving on Central American roads at night because not because of like cartel or anything like that. It was more because the roads generally aren't as good as American roads. At least that's what people were saying. Like you big potholes or unmarked speed bumps or like livestock in the road. Dangers like that, um, they don't have headlights, so you don't have a lot of time to react with just your headlights. So the whole plan was we're only driving have nine to twelve hours during daylight, and I'd researched hotels along the way, like pet friendly hotels, every nine to twelve hours. So we had plenty of time to make it there during the daylight. We could have a three hour buffer um, because each driving time was about nine hours. And I factored in about three hours for each border crossing because that's what I, I kept reading online is that that stuff takes a lot of time. So we pulled out of our driveway November 8th. Um, I moved this like beautiful lunar eclipse super early with the goal of getting to the Mexican border right at sunrise. So we could have our full nine hours of driving that first day starting at sunrise in Mexico. So we leave home. The lunar eclipse was so cool. I just felt like it was such a cool sign of some sort that this was meant to be or we were doing the right thing because the eclipse happened I think it was 2 a.m. to kind of like 5 a.m. or so so we don't normally we're not normally awake at that time so it it was not something we would have seen had we not left that specific day and we didn't even know it was happening we didn't know the eclipse was happening until we pulled out of our driveway at 3 a.m. and saw it so that was pretty cool so pull out of the driveway we've got the three dogs we have a suburban we have our trailer and the drive down to the border was pretty uneventful, other than the lunar eclipse, which was super cool. And we got to the border right at sunrise. The place we were trying to cross, it was called Piedras Negras, which means, I think, black stone. And we specifically chose that border because we heard, Laredo is actually closer to the house we have in Austin, but we heard that the Laredo border is less safe. I don't really know what that means, but that's what we read a lot. So we decided to go a little further to the Piedras Negras, Piedras Negras border and cross there. So we get to the border at sunrise. Everything's going great according to plan. Um, we like check out of the United States, cross the river, cross the Rio Grande, officially into Mexico. And then our problems started when we were trying to check into Mexico. Okay, so... Long story short, my job was to stay in the truck with our dogs. So I got the easy end of the deal. Corey's job was to like take all of our paperwork and go inside and explain that, you know, we're essentially just trying to drive through Mexico. We have a house in El Salvador. We're trying to drive through Mexico to get to our house in El Salvador. And 
Oh, long story short, they told us that we could not cross through Mexico. We could not go through because we had three vehicles and only two drivers. So we have our Suburban, and it's towing a trailer with a bunch of stuff on it. And then on that trailer is two street legal dirt bikes. So they're saying we have three vehicles, two people, and, like, that's not allowed. We still don't really know why, because we have all of the proper documentation to do it. Um, we own everything outright. Every Like, we made 100 copies of everything proving that. But between the language barrier and just... It, they just they said no, so we couldn't cross. So we literally just turned around, crossed back over the river, and checked back into the U.S., which kind of raised a lot of questions, like what are, you know, what are y'all doing? Why why are you coming back in? And uh, we had to explain to the guard what happened, and we told him we were just going to go try another, we were going to try a different crossing. And he, the border guard in the U.S., reiterated, please don't go to Laredo. That one's not safe because that's where we were going to go because it's the closest. So. We're like really frustrated, feeling defeated. The whole thing, I mean, it took like three hours of trying to communicate with these people, um, trying to understand why we can't cross. So we had wasted like three hours of daylight just going back and forth over, you can't come in because you have three vehicles and two people. So once we get back into the U.S. and explain ourselves, we just go to get lunch to kind of like gather ourselves and try to figure out what to do. And we called one of our friends who, we met him in El Salvador, but he's also, he's a U.S. citizen and a Salvadoran. So he's got dual citizenship and he drives back and forth from California to El Salvador a lot. So he makes the drive through Mexico, through Guatemala. He does it often. So we just called him for advice. And he told us that he has a friend who works at a different Texas-Mexico border. And then if we would just go to that border crossing, his friend could help us out. So... We're like, okay, we're going to you know, think about it. We're having lunch. Well, we Google the border crossing that he told us to go to, and it's five hours away from where we currently were. So that was frustrating because Laredo's like an hour away. We were still hoping we could make it to our first hotel. You know, we wanted everything to go according to plan, and that's when I first learned that like nothing was going to go according to plan on this drive. So we're like, okay, our options are we can go home. And then we're just going to have to do this whole thing again. Or we can drive five hours across South Texas and go to Los Indios and try to cross there with the help of, a, you know, a friend of a friend who speaks Spanish. So we were like, that seems, you know, like the best option. So literally our entire first day, starting at like three in the morning, was us just like driving around Texas. We drove to Piedras Negras. And we drove all the way across the bottom of the state over to Los Indios, which is on more of the east side. And we got an Airbnb that night in a town nearby called Harlingen, um, pet-friendly place, super sweet couple who owned it. So that was actually really enjoyable. And then we got up again, and we, we decided day two, we're going to start again, like, right at sunrise and see if we can just pretty much start our plan over just day number two, right? So the second day, we get up, and this is like, okay, Mexico border crossing attempt number two, right? And we go to the agreed-upon location with our friend's friend. And we didn't realize it until we got to his office, but he's actually a lawyer, which at first we were like, that's great. But then we were like, that's not great because lawyers are expensive. So <laughs> Corey went inside. Again, I stayed in the car with the dogs, and he came back out. I could already tell by the look on his face that he was not happy. And 
the lawyer told him that he could help us cross. He would do all the paperwork for us. He would talk to people for us. It was like he would do all of it, but he wanted $400 and it was going to take three days. <laughs> so we were like, well, we really don't want to wait three days. Again, that would mean we have to go back home. We wasted a whole day. We wasted an Airbnb night. We don't want to do that. So we decided, you know what? We're literally 10 minutes from the Mexican border, which is a different crossing. Let's go over there and try again. So we drove over to the Los Indios border and we did the whole the whole deal again, right? We checked out of the US, we crossed the river, we're in Mexico, now I have to check into Mexico. My job again, stay in the car, watch the dogs, make sure no one steals our stuff on our trailer. It's not like a closed-in trailer, it's like this open air trailer, like you can see everything we have on it. And so Corey went in and again took about three hours of paperwork, documentation. Strangely, at this border, they didn't say anything at all that the first crossing guard told us about the three vehicles, two people rule. Didn't mention that at all. So I don't know if like the woman at the other border was confused or I've never heard of that or else we would have planned for that. So they didn't say anything about that at this second attempt to cross New Mexico. But uh, they essentially, they they like randomly searched some of our stuff. It wasn't like we had to unpack every single box. That was something that we were worried about. We didn't have to unpack every box. They just randomly searched some things. They made us put our, we had a gas tank, like an extra gas tank in case we ran out of gas. They made us put our gas inside our vehicle, like um, not the tank, but the actual gas. We had to put it inside the vehicles. That was the only like weird thing they made us do. And then that was it. Just got to go straight into Mexico after that. But again, it took three hours. And because we had tried to meet with our friend's friend who wanted to charge us a bunch of money, we were behind schedule again. So we were all nervous because we knew we were going to have to drive at night. But honestly, like once we got through the border, the drive was like the toll. We stuck to the toll roads, which were more expensive than we were expecting. But it was well worth it because all of the toll roads were like of equal quality to U.S. roads or like even better. What was really cool in Mexico is there's this, and we read about this, but it was really cool to experience it. it there was this like unspoken traffic flow rule where they really do only use the left lane to pass. So if you're going slow or you're going the speed limit, you get to the right. And then if you want to pass, you literally pass and then you get back in the right lane. And in cases where it's just like one road going each way, people literally will move over and create, they call it the magic, the magic third lane. So people will move out of your way so you can pass. And it's so nice because traffic just flows. No one gets mad. I don't think we got conked up the whole time and we were, you know, a big bulky SUV with a trailer. So that was super cool. Really liked that about Mexico. I think we should all adopt that. But that drive was pretty smooth on that first day. The only like weird thing that happened to us is we, uh, so there's, there are checkpoints where, you know, you get stopped by police or people who look like police. I don't know who they are, but they stop you and they ask you for your documents. And every, I mean, it happens quite a lot every day in Mexico, but you just hand them your paperwork. They check the VINs on all your vehicles. As long as it checked out, you continue on. It's no big deal. Nothing like in general, it wasn't a problem. It became a problem later, which I'll get to. But this first day, the only weird thing that happened is, we like rolled over a speed bump um, slowly, but I guess because we had to like take all of our stuff off of our trailer at the border, we didn't tie everything back down well. So our we brought our smoker, like our, it's like Texas as hell. 
we brought our smoker grill down here so we can smoke meat. And uh, it literally, like, flew off the trailer when we <laughs> rolled over this speed bump. And it's, like, tumbling down the driveway, right? And there's this dude with, like, this giant, I don't know if it's an AK or I don't know what it is, but it's this giant gun on his chest. And it, like, lands in front of him. And so we have to get out of the car. And, you know, I think that's, it's our first day in Mexico, right? So I'm still, like, jarred by the fact that everyone has these, like, giant weapons. You kind of get used to it. It becomes not a big deal, but that was the first experience we had with like a man with like a large gun and our like shits flying off the trailer. So he was super nice about it and he helped us load it back up and like strap it down. That was the only weird thing that happened the first day. And honestly, it was such a beautiful drive that first day. My favorite part was driving through Monterey. The mountains were incredible. I didn't even know Monterey had mountains. I didn't know Mexico had mountains. It was like honestly cold at some points. It was crazy. But that first day in Mexico, we slept at this cute little place and a town called Matawala, and it was like one of my favorite places we stayed. It had this 1960s U.S. vibe, and it was pet-friendly, and it had like this old-school diner on site. It was really nice. I'm grateful for that night because the next day was one of the hardest days that we had on our whole trip. (laughs) So the next day, our goal was to get from Matawala to a town near Mexico City, and the first thing that happened is we woke up to a call from our U.S. bank, and uh, they told us that Corey's identity got stolen. So that was literally first morning in Mexico, Corey, your identity got stolen. And it didn't get stolen in Mexico, it got stolen at home. We still don't actually know how or why, but it took us three hours on the phone with the bank to cancel all of his credit cards, get new ones, figure out like how we're going to get them here in El Salvador, Um, to coordinate all of that. So three hours on the phone with the bank. And then after we find out his identity got stolen, we go out to the car to load up our dogs and all of our stuff. And we we would always check like the tires and the oils and stuff. And there are nails in uh, not all of our tires, but like more than one. I think there were at least three different tires that had nails in them that day. So (laughs) we're already like three hours behind schedule, right? And like, I'm still in my mind like, you know, we have to stay to our plan, like, we can only drive during the day, but, like, I don't think there was maybe one day out of our whole, like, nine-day adventure that worked. This was not that day. So, we go across the street, there's a mechanic there. Luckily, like, in Mexico, it's cool, like, you can just show up places, you don't need an appointment, you just tell them what's wrong, and usually someone's available to help you. I mean, they helped us in probably 30 minutes, maybe an hour, because I think there were three tires that had nails. They, like, Got the nails out, they patched them, they filled them, and it was eight dollars. Eight dollars. They were nice. They were happy to do it. It was so it was so nice, you know, to have that issue and have somebody be willing to help us fix it that quickly for that cheap. So that was great. So we finally get on the road. It's like three or four hours later behind schedule, right? But luckily, most of the drive that day was fine. And I say most of it because like shit really went downhill like our last hour. <laughs> So, again, drive is good. Last hour, we hit, like, one of the last toll toll booths that we have to pass through to get to our hotel that night. And, like I said, usually what happens is, you know, you go through a toll booth. There's usually, like, Mexican police or someone who looks like the police. They pull you over. They check your stuff, and then you go. Well, at this toll booth, we get through the toll booth. We get pulled over. Again, we're used to that. It didn't seem like a big deal. And the guys who pulled us over, 
Um, they take our papers, they go back, they're checking them in, they're like, they go all the, be- all the way back to the back of the trailer, which that was the first thing that was unusual. So they're like behind the whole trailer, not just checking like the motorcycles, which were more at the front of the trailer. And they come back to the window and, you know, we like reach out to take our papers and we thought, you know, okay, like they check everything, like we're, gonna, you know, we're good. Well, then they start like, they just start like pointing at the back of the trailer. And we're like, okay, that's different. So Corey gets out of the car. Um, it is like a busy highway. So like that was nice. It wasn't like, you know, we're alone on this like back road. But he gets out of the car to go back to try to understand what they're pointing at because they're not, they don't speak English. We are not speaking good Spanish yet. And long story short, like they're doing Google Translate back and forth. So this whole thing is taking like 45 minutes, probably maybe an hour, but our understanding of what they're trying to say is that we that this toll road, this one toll road, has a certain schedule for trailers. And if your trailer, like if the license plate on your trailer ends with an M, you can't drive on it this day. They said, okay, it's November 12th, and your license plate ends with an M, so you're not allowed to drive on this toll road this day. Um, and then they said, we watched like a lot of uh, YouTube videos on extortion, <laughs> so we knew what to listen for. And so they said the magic word, right? They're like, "But if you just want to handle this now, that's what you—that's what you always look for. If you want to handle this now, you can just pay the fine, and you can go. And the fine's three hundred dollars." And we were like, "I didn't really know what's going on, but..." If you know Corey, he's not just going to, like, hand over money, even to, like, police or cartel or whoever they were trying to ask us for this money, which I love him for because I, I'm not like that. I'd be like, here, take my money, whatever, like, let me go. But now Corey said he, in his words, he put on his biggest gringo smile ever and just handed them every single document that we brought, which it was a lot. Like, we made 10 copies of literally everything. So he's like, well, what about this? Does this work? Is that what you want? Is that what you want? Is that what you want? And, um... <laughs> God bless him, because he wore those men down. Like, they were out there, and it was cold. He had to, like, get a sweatshirt. It was, like, we were up in the mountains or whatever. It was late. It had been a long day after, like, the identity theft and the tire thing. And he wore them down. And they're doing the translate thing. And so eventually, near the end of it, he's asking that. He said he asked them several times, like, can you write down the name of the law that I'm breaking? Also, another issue I forgot to mention is, like, they told us the wrong date. So it's November... 10th, not the 12th, and our license plate doesn't even end with an M. It's it's like M2 or something. It does not end with whatever letter they were trying to say it ends in. I think they were just trying to create some difficult situation so they could attach a price tag to it. Usually people probably just pay it and move on, but they have not met my husband. So he's out there doing the thing. He wears them down. Eventually, one of them says, there's two guys, one of them says, Necesito un cafe. It means I need a coffee. And Corey said, me come in, like, me too. You know, he thought that they were making a joke or whatever. Like, this is exhausting and this sucks. And we're out here in the cold and we're, like, arguing over this for 45 minutes. But the guy goes, no, like, buy me a coffee? Yeah, yeah. So Corey's like, I'll buy you a coffee and a beer. He handed him $10 and they let us go. So that was our experience with extortion. Corey wore them down from 300 to $10. So... We're happy to pay 10 bucks to just kind of be on our way or whatever. But uh, it wasn't as scary as, like, I was mentally prepared to be extorted, and I thought it was going to be way more, like, muscle and, like, weapons and whatever. But it was just, I think 
I think it's just people taking taking advantage of, you know, they put you in a difficult, difficult situation, they offer you an easy way out, and if you become too difficult, then the price is done. I think it's more of that than anything. I don't think it's usually, like, the scary things that you think it is. Um, at least that was our experience, right? So we got out of that with just $10 out of pocket. Um, I wish that were the end of our problems for that day, but it wasn't. Uh, what ended up happening after that is, so we get extorted and we're like, okay, we have one more hour. Like we are so close to our hotel. It's way after dark. So we're totally not doing well on this whole like drive during the daytime thing. And, uh, we missed our exit off of the highway, which didn't really seem like a big deal because we just took the next one. We figured it worked like most exits here. Well, in, in Texas, most exits, you just take the next one and you like do the circle and then you go back. Usually it's not a big deal, but the exit we ended up taking put us into this, like, now we're, we're near Mexico City, so there's, like, a lot of, like, fucking roadways or whatever, so we, like, go into this, like, curly queue, like, turnaround thing. We ended up going through the same toll booth, the same toll booth, like, we would go this way, and we would go this way, and then we went back this way, and then we went this way, and we went through four times. They would not let us, like, every time they charged us, they wouldn't, they just said, no, you have to keep paying. And, um, the first time we went through, we got, we like to say we got taxed again in a totally different way. So we go through the toll booth and we realize we have to like do the turnaround thing. So we go to do the turnaround. It's like this little tiny tunnel feel, but like right before the tunnel and it's dark, right? So there's no street lights. We hit, I swear to God, it was the biggest speed bump you've ever seen. I know, like, Mexico's notorious for that, but, like, my God. Like, the Suburban and the trailer caught air. We're, like, flying through the air. Didn't see it. We were, I don't know how fast we were going, but I know we caught air because we landed and the whole thing was, like, boom, boom, boom. And, like, a bunch of our shit just, like, blew off the trailer. Okay? We lost the smoker again, that poor smoker. You could see it just tumbling down the road. We had this, like, giant, uh, what is it called? Like a tool tool chest, like a big iron one. My dad was in construction, so it's this old, like, work. Like, I mean, it's, like, five feet long. It's big iron. That whole thing was, like, after the bounce, it, like, kind of, like, was hanging off the side. A bunch of our stuff fell off. And, like, honestly, this was more sketchy than the extortion, in my opinion, because at least when we were being extorted, we were, like, on the side of this busy highway, so it wasn't really like anything that bad could happen, but this like speed bump situation, like I said, the turnaround part off this toll road was in this like little, I mean, there were parts where I don't even know if we're going to fit through this like little tiny alleyway thing where like no one's there except for other people who are turning around and I don't know, like randos who are walking around. So that was way sketchier to me and it took... It didn't take as long as the extortion, but it took a while for both of us to be out there, like, gathering our stuff off the road, get it back on the trailer, like, strap it down to make sure it's actually going to stay. Um, that was sketchier to me. We, we call it a tax because it, like, broke a bunch of our stuff. So, the ne- like I said, we had to do that turnaround, like, three or four times. So, the next time we knew what to expect. But we finally, like, by the time we finally figure out what's happening, we had to ask the toll booth people on our fourth attempt, like, can you help us? The GPS says to go this way. We keep doing this curly Q turnaround thing. So they're like, okay, well, every time you do the turnaround, there there's seven toll booths on this like toll road, right? And every time you do the turnaround, you end up on the rightmost toll booth. So that's the one we kept going through. And we were like, please, like, we don't want to pay again. And they're like, you have to pay. 
So we're like, can you help us like with the GPS? So they're like, okay, every time you do this, you keep coming to this rightmost toll booth. And what you need to do is you have to go like seven lanes. It's like, there's like five toll booths that like put you onto this paid highway thing. And there's these other booths, which I guess are free, the two all the way on the left side. And they put you on the free highway. And they're like, you have to go over to that, to that one. Like all the way across the seven lanes of traffic over to the free one. And we're like, can we just back up? No, 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 you have to go through the toll booth. You gotta do turn around again. And then we're like, okay. And then you want us to like cut across seven lanes on this highway with our trailer and like all of our, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we're like, I guess that's what we're gonna do. So we did the, we did the turn around again. And then this time, instead of going to that toll booth, we literally cut across like seven lanes of like highway traffic to get over to the left side to go off this like free highway. It was crazy, like the most confusing thing ever. But we're like finally on this highway, finally make it to our hotel. The guy, um, the place that we stayed, it was actually, I know I said the other one was my favorite, but this one was my most favorite because the owner was such a sweet guy. It was sort of like this, they call it an RV park, but it was really just like this guy's house and he has this field behind it, this beautiful property. And, um, no one else was there. He had three, you can, there were three rooms to rent also. So we didn't like sleep in the car. There were three little rooms you could rent. Um, but nobody else was there. And he like waited up for us to make, he had to open the gate and make sure, you know, we could get in. And, uh, you could already tell at night that it was a really cool property. But, um, the next morning was even cooler because like the little town where we stayed and I didn't plan it this way. I was just looking for pet friendly hotels, but nearby there's, um, a hot air, hot air balloon tourist attraction. So when we got up, there were like 15 hot air balloons sort of like bobbing in the sky, right? You know, it's, it's dawn or whatever. They're bobbing in the sky over our heads. It was so cool. And, uh, the property was even more beautiful during the day. The guy who owns it, his name was Omar, super sweet guy. He's actually a circus performer. So part of the property is like a circus tent. He like trains children, I guess, um, in like acrobatics. It was part of his, um, I don't think that's his job. I think he, he does that for free. So it was just, it was cool. He was a super nice guy. And the night before, like I said, he stayed up with us and he waited for us and he, he visited with us for a long time, even though it was pretty late. And we told him about our stressful day that we had just had. And we we're like, Hey, you know, we got to go to bed because we got to get up at dawn. We got to get to our next place. And he goes, uh, he's like, why aren't you guys in a hurry? You know, like, do you have to be in El Salvador for something by some, some day? You know, is there some kind of deadline that you're trying to meet? And we like looked at each other and we were like, no. And it like dawned on us, like we're putting all this undue pressure on ourselves to like, okay, like we have this plan and we have to make sure we're hitting the plan. And we got to get here by this date and here by that date. And we were like, I don't know. It was such an awakening moment. And I like, I really just respected him for asking that. And uh, what ended up happening is because we had such a stressful day the previous day, and also because that mor- that next morning happened to be our five-year wedding anniversary, we decided to just, like, take the day off from driving. So we ended up staying at that place two nights, which was super cool, because I loved those hot air balloons. And it was such a cool little town. Like like I said, we didn't plan it this way, but it was uh, it's called Teotihuacan. And, like, five minutes from where we were staying were these really old pyramids they're like i'm probably gonna butcher this but one of the biggest standing like pre-mesoamerican pyramids or something like they were really big and really old and there's a lot of history so 
we spent the morning uh, walking around the pyramid. In the afternoon, we took our dog to the vet there because they needed a health certificate. Not to get into Mexico, which was interesting, but to get into Guatemala and El Salvador, they had to like pass a health test. I'm really glad we waited because we looked into doing it in the U.S. and they wanted like three thousand dollars to do it, and in Mexico we paid like 150 bucks total. So that was great. So we took the dogs to the vet, and then on our way back from the vet, we saw that they were setting up for like some kind of street festival. So we dropped the dogs off and we went back to the street festival that night. And that was like one of my favorite things. So cool. Like just walking around this old little town, you know, it's got the cobblestone streets and they have all the like decorations hung over the street and uh, just like the food vendors and the, just people laughing and just like such big personalities and like smells and color. And like they had put all of these like legit carnival ride, you know, like a full-size Ferris wheel and, like, rides that are flying around. They, like, shoved it all in this little tiny town center. And uh, it was it was just super cool. I loved it. <laughs> the best part of all was at the end, they did, uh, like, this fireworks show. And we were laughing the whole time because, <laughs> like, there's, like, no safety standards or, like, I guess, you know, U.S. standards for safety. There's, like, none. And um, we were just cracking up at how, like, everything <laughs> Like, honestly, so unsafe. Um, but nobody, I mean, nobody seemed to care. You know, you just kind of know, like, don't go too close to that, right? It's going to, like, knock you out. Or, like, don't go too close to the fireworks. Like, shit's exploding. So it was funny just experiencing that. Like, literally, like, at some moments, like, running from the fireworks because things are just, like, blowing up. Um, it was crazy. But it was super cool. And I, I'm so grateful that we just took time to pause and just be present, like experience life that day, especially because it was our anniversary. So that was really, really cool. I really am glad for that day. So that was, that was the best day for sure. So the next day, um, got up at five or six again. Uh, <laughs> I'm laughing because we had like such a good day. You know, it was like a sandwich between like a really bad day, really good day. And then like that morning, it just started off not great because uh, if you've ever been to Mexico or like, Central America, or uh, maybe other places are like this too. Um, a lot of the doors don't like actually have handles. You just use a key to like, you put the key in, you turn the key and that like opens the door, right? So the key is both like the locking device, but also the handle. So that morning we get up before dawn and we had already said our goodbyes to Omar because he wasn't going to be up. So we knew he wasn't going to be awake. So we're like trying to get out of the room. And something is wrong with the lock. We were like, we were locked in the room. Okay. And <laughs> we're on the second story of this building, locked in this room. The windows, like, even if we could have gotten out the window and not like fallen to our death, the windows are like this big. We keep, we were joking that the only one of us who could have gotten out, we could have put our chihuahua on a string and like put it, like taped a note to his neck and put him, you know, put the rope down to the floor. And there's no bathroom because it's sort of like an RV park, so the bathroom's shared, right? So, like, we're like, if we're in here for a long time, like, that's going to become a problem. So, um, we're locked in the room at 6 in the morning. We're, like, calling Omar. He's He told us he sleeps late, so he's, like, dead to the world, not answering his phone. So, uh, yeah, we're in there for, like, probably half an hour trying to get out. And Corey, like, luckily had a pocket knife, and he broke the end of his knife trying to get out. I mean, it was not easy, so people, like, screws out like pry the door open it was it was intense so i detect omar and apologize for that but he didn't care he was more worried that we were literally locked in a hotel room 
So that's how that day started. But luckily, the rest of it was pretty smooth. Um, like I keep saying, we were just shocked at how cold it was. It was crazy. We were going more and more south, but it was getting more and more cold. So we had packed small bags for this, you know, road trip, right? So we didn't have to have our big suitcases. But we ended up having to, like, dig through and find, like, sweatshirts and pants and hats and stuff. I can't believe, like, how cold it was in that area. It was just wild. Um, but our goal that day was to get from, we were sort of, like, on the outskirts of Mexico City. And we were going to, the town is called Postacolpos. I always messed it up. But uh, what was notable about the place that we were going is that it was on the, it was going to be the first time we were staying on the ocean. Okay, so we were going to the east side of Mexico, we were going to be staying on the uh, Caribbean side that night. So by the end of that day, it was a smooth drive. No, like, big issues that day. So by the end of the day, we were shedding our layers because we are on the Caribbean Ocean, which was really cool. And this was the only hotel where we, like, kind of had an issue with our dogs. Um, I, I had a really hard time finding a pet-friendly hotel in this area. And the place that I found... on their website said you can only have two dogs and so I had emailed them in advance and I I said we have three you know can we like make this work our third one's like you know five pounds he's little whatever and they're like no if you have three dogs you have to get two rooms which I was like that's stupid so never mind I told them never mind um but we ended up staying there anyway like I said because I was having a hard time finding a place so I just sent I stayed in the car they had my name, but not Corey. So I stayed in the car. Corey just went in last minute, you know, and said, like, do y'all have a room? We have two dogs. And uh, they said, yes. So we paid for the room and the dog fees and whatever. And I just, like, got a bag. And I, like, literally just, like, put Rooney in the bag. That Rooney's our uh, little chihuahua. So put him in the bag and we, like, run as fast as we can past the desk. And I seriously doubt they would have cared, but um, it was kind of a fun way to get him. We had, like, smuggle the chihuahua into the the hotel which was kind of fun so anyway that night we had dinner with um not with at a like probably like the most nice restaurant i think that we ate at um on this trip which was kind of nice kind of different but also kind of stressful because we had our dogs and um we like just put them in the car and we like left the windows down so we'd like sit at this table where we could still see the car uh, but after dinner, it was nice because we walked along the ocean, which was, you know, always super refreshing. So we took the dogs and just walked along the ocean. And, and we thought that was pretty cool because we were touching the ocean on the Caribbean side. And then the next day, our next hotel was on the West Coast. So we knew the next day we would be touching the ocean on the Pacific side, which was really, really cool. So that, that night, uh, that, that was it for that night. The next day we woke up to rain, which we got pretty lucky because this was the only... No, that's not true. Actually, the next rain was worse. But this was the first time it rained. We didn't have a lot of rain. We did plan for it. We made sure that anything on our trailer could get wet. If it like if it had to get wet, it could. Any like electronics or like blankets, clothes type stuff we put inside the suburban. Um, but still we didn't like want our things just to get drenched. So we stopped at Home Depot and we bought, you know, straps and tarp and all that for the trailers for like wrapped up the trailer. Um, besides the rain, you know, this day was pretty smooth as well. Luckily, no huge issues. Made it to our hotel in a town called Gigiapan, uh, before sunset. So this was like, I think the only day that we made it anywhere before it got dark. So that was exciting. And so we were like, okay, like we're here we're on the West Coast. We made it before sunset. Like, let's put all of our stuff in the hotel. Like, let's go to the beach and watch the sunset. So we drive over to what we thought was the beach, but it turns out that it's this area of Mexico that we were staying in, 
it was like sort of like this like lagoon. Um, it definitely was not the beach. It was like mangrovey, lagoony vibes. And we found out that if you wanted to go to the beach, you had to like take a like a little motorboat across the lagoon, which we later found out had crocodiles in it, which was wild. And you take the boat across and you get to the, you get to the beach. So we like got all our dogs on the boat, rode across. It was actually one of the like one of my favorite uh, memories from the trip too. But was not expecting to have to do that. So get over to the other side, and uh, we did make it for sunset, which was our goal, which was really nice. And we're kind of standing there on the west coast, watching the sunset. And this kid, he uh, like he he looks like a Mexican guy, and he walks over and says in English, "Hey, where are you guys from?" And it, like took me a second because we'd only heard Spanish, you know, for six days, right? And uh, he looked like a local, and so it just it took me a second to be like, "Oh, like we're speaking English." So it turns out this kid, his mom is Mexican, his dad is American, and he grew up in the States, but his family had recently just moved back down to this Jujiapon area, and they opened the restaurant that was on the beach, and so they invited us to have dinner, and um, super nice people, like I said, like, besides, I mean, yeah, we had some issues, and, like, we had border issues, we were extorted, like, all of that stuff, but, you know, 99% of the people that we met outside of any kind of, like, government or whatever, like, capacity, super nice people, like, by and large, super, super nice, so... They invited us to the restaurant. They fed us. They would not let us pay. We missed our last boat back across the Crocodile Lagoon. And so they, like, got their boat out and they took us back. Super nice people. So that was really cool. And it was, like, in a way, it was kind of, you know, it was, it was nice to meet some folks from the U.S. who had relocated. I mean, that's what we were doing. It was kind of cool to sort of bond and share a little bit over that. So that was really neat. So the next day, this is when we are attempting to cross into Guatemala. And I think I told you a little bit ago, our second day in Mexico with like the identity theft, the extortion, and then nails and tire was like one of the worst days. This is, this is the worst day, okay? <laughs> Guatemala border attempt number one, easily the worst day. So we get up, again, leaving at sunrise, trying to just be at our next hotel in Guatemala before the sun sets. Planned it all out, whatever. We had no idea what what was awaiting us. But we leave the hotel and we drive. I think the it was only two hours to the border. Like, no big deal. We had left, I think, at 8. Got to the border at, like, 10. 10 or 11. And checking out of Mexico was, like, a breeze. So we, uh, we got our deposit back. We had to pay a deposit when we entered Mexico because we, we had to, like, promise that we were going to leave within, you know, seven days or whatever. We pulled in. We... Had to make sure that they had to make sure we weren't going to sell anything. That's like the big thing, right? They don't want you to sell stuff in their country without them collecting some kind of tax on it. So um, that was the issue at every border. So that's what we ran into in Guatemala, Guatemala as well, which I'll get to in a second. But checking out in Mexico, no big deal. So similar to when we got into Mexico from leaving the U.S., um, you leave Mexico and you cross this little bridge, this like river. Um, and I like to call it no man's land because it's really interesting because like you're between, uh, you're like between countries, right? You're between each customs booth. And this one was like the, the Texas-Mexico border, you just like cross this like bridge over a river, there's nobody there, and then you like go into Mexico. This was entirely different. Like there were so many people on this bridge just like 
sort of like tourism galore, right? Like people are like running in your car with like they have stuff to sell you and there's like carts and food and stuff everywhere. And like by the time we just crossed the bridge and got to the customs office, <laughs> there were like 15 dudes just like on the trailer, like almost like they were hitching a ride. They were just like on the trailer, like holding on, like as we like go into this parking lot. And we had read about, they call themselves helpers. They were not at all helpful in our experience, but that's what they're called because apparently the process to get into Guatemala is really complicated, which we learned. But essentially what happened is there was one of these like dudes that's like riding on our trailer and Corey's like, he's like the, the guy that Corey kind of got drawn to spoke the best English, right? We don't speak in Spanish. We had to do a lot of legal stuff. It's confusing. When someone speaks English, it just felt familiar and like safe in some ways, which we totally misread that. So he's like asking the guy, if you help me, how much money do you want? The guy said, 10, 10 bucks. And we're like, fine, help, like, come on, let's go. So again, my job, stay in the car, watch the dogs, watch the step. At this border, that was a much bigger job because there were people just like on our trailer. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know if I didn't ask why. I wasn't going to like get out of the car and be like, hey, can y'all get off our trailer? Like, no. So I had to just sit there and watch them and make sure they like weren't taking anything. I was in this parking lot. Like the parking lot was kind of over here on the right. Then you had a road and then you had customs and then this other building, which I'll explain in a second. But that's where Corey was. And I was over here with our stuff and our dogs in this like dirt parking lot. And, uh, we learned very quickly that this border was going to be more complicated because of the two building situations. So they had customs, which at every other border we've ever been to, that is, you know, those people make the decisions, right? That is who gets to decide, do you get to come into our country? What, like, if so, what's the stipulations? What do you have to pay? Like, what are you doing here? Usually that's how it works. At the Guatemala-Mexico border, that is not how it works. <laughs> there is this other company called Guamex. So Guatemala and Mexico, I guess. And we researched them after because we had such a bad experience. We were just curious. But I'm pretty sure they're privately owned, which is interesting. But like anything that Corey was trying to accomplish at the customs office, they would tell him that he had to go over to Guamex and he had to do it over there. But then when he would go to Guamex, they would tell him that he had to go to customs. So he spent most of the, our time there going back and forth between the buildings. And, uh, like, one hour passes, two hour passes. We didn't really think anything of it at first because, like I said, both times we tried to cross to Mexico, it took three to four hours. We were at the Guatemala border for, like, 30 hours. Like, three zero. 30 hours trying to get into Guatemala. To not even, like, get in, just to drive through Guatemala. And it was short. In Mexico, it took us you know, six days. Guatemala, it was like a nine-hour drive. Like, we could have gotten through Guatemala in one day. But no. They, like, and the helper was not helping, right? The helper, I'm pretty sure, was just there to extort us because at some point, Corey came back to the car and I could see him from far away. I could tell he was more upset than he had been at any point during our journey. And he got in the car and he was heated. Um, he was more upset than I've seen him in a long time because they told him that to drive through Guatemala, not to, just to drive through Guatemala was going to be 8,000 US dollars. 
8,000 US dollars. That was insane. Like, that's insane. And then you have the helper guy, and he's like, oh, yeah, man, like, just just pay it. Like, it's going to be way easier, you know. And I, I told you we had watched a bunch of videos on, like, extortions to make sure we knew, like, when that was. And so it really felt, in a way, like we were getting extorted. And so, again, like, if you know Corey, he's not one to just hand over money, especially not $8,000. We didn't have $8,000 because they wanted cash. That's another thing. They wanted cash. So we felt very stuck. Because, you know, you're in a situation where this is the only way for, like, the, you have to do, like, what they say, or else you have to go back to Mexico. And I, you know, I'm just like, it's starting, like, it's late now. It's starting, the sun's going down, right? And uh, I'm sort of like, let's just go back to Mexico. Let's just go back to the hotel we were at. And we'll kind of, we'll figure it out. Like, let's just go back. And we started thinking about that. And we were like, we're going to have to go through the search again. We're going to have to pay all of these taxes again. We're going to have to do like the deposit. Like we're going to lose a lot of time and money by going back into Mexico, even though that felt very much more safe at the time. So we're like, okay, we're not going to do that. So Corey's like, okay, he calms down. Let me go back in. Let me try to figure this out. Um, so he goes back in. It's like three, four at this time. I can see him, or I'm watching him on the map because I'm like kind of freaked out because I'm over there by myself. There's still, but there's like a lot of people in this parking lot. There's a lot of people on our trailer. And uh, I'm watching him on the map and I'm watching him go back and forth between the customs office and the Guanex back and forth. And I can already tell that like that's not good, right? So then he comes back again, also upset. And he tells me that they wanted to to make sure, like, I guess the big issue is they thought that we were going to come into Guatemala and we were going to sell our stuff, and they wanted taxes on that. So the first, like I said, the first quote we got, they wanted $8,000 for taxes on that stuff. Well, so they said, Corey's like, I'm not going to pay that. You know, what else can we do? So they tell us that the next best option is they will send a representative from Guamex, and they'll put him in our car, like, in our car with us, and he will ride with us to El Salvador to make sure that we don't sell anything and that we say that, you know, that we go through as quickly as we can and we, like, do what we say we're going to do. <laughs> Corey said he, came, he said he asked the guy, he was like, would you put a strange person that you don't know in your car with your dogs and your wife and drive through a country that you've never been to with that person in your car? And the guy was like, no, I'm going to do that. Corey was like, well, then why are you asking me to do that? So again, Corey's he he's really good at pushing back. If he isn't he doesn't want to do something, he's gonna push back and he's gonna tell you he's not gonna do it, um, no matter how difficult that makes things. And I, I respect him for that because again, that does not come naturally to me. So he said, no, I'm not gonna do that. Meanwhile, it's getting darker and darker, and I'm starting to really freak out. And then it starts to rain. So I told you a second ago that when we were in Mexico, it was our first experience with rain. Well. That was nothing compared to the rain that we got this day um, at the Guatemala border. So by this time, I'm really freaking out because it's dark, it's raining, and then the parking lot attendant is, like, tapping on the window, and I'm by myself in there with the dog. He's, like, tapping on the window, and I'm, like, you know, I made the mistake of Googling some stuff, and I'm, like, in my, I'm, like, really in my head. I think I'm going to, like, get kidnapped and sold or, like, whatever. And so he's, like, tapping on the window, I, like, crack it down like this much I must have looked like a crazy person but I cracked it down and you know we're trying to communicate and he's telling me you know our park we're, we're closing the parking lot in 30 minutes y'all need to get out and so I'm calling Corey like you need to come back we need to figure out what we're gonna do 
So I finally get a hold of him when he comes back and he's like pretty much telling me that he hasn't made a whole lot of progress and um, he needs to go find, we're going to have to spend the night at the border because we can't go back into Mexico. I think the Mexico customs office had already closed. We had no other choice at that point than to spend the night in the, like I told you, there's the bridge of, I call it no man's land. So we had to spend the night somewhere on that bridge. Luckily there were hotels. But he's like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go by myself real quick and find a hotel. Um, are you okay? And for some reason, when he asked me if I was okay, like, that's when it just, that was the only time I cried on that trip. But I just, I just like lost it. I was afraid. It was dark. It's raining. We have our dogs. We have all these people. They want to charge us money. They want to put something in the car. Like, it, it was just, it was a lot. <laughs> so he's like, it's going to be okay. Like, I'm going to find a hotel. So he goes. The parking lot attendant's back, and he's like, we're closing, y'all need to move. And I'm, like, trying to tell him, you know, we're going to spend the night. Can we leave our stuff here? And he says, yes. So I didn't think it was, I didn't think we had to hurry at that point. But Corey comes back, and uh, he says he found a hotel. Um, so we literally, like, you know, it's raining hard. And uh, we didn't want all of our stuff to get wet, so we just, like, got trash bags. We put, like, what we needed for the night inside literal trash bags. And we're like running down the street with our trash bags and our dog to this hotel that he found. And uh, when we leave, they finally walk the parking lot. So they were waiting for us to get out. Um, so we go and we stay at this hotel. Uh, super grateful just to like be in a room and have, I don't know, like just not be near like a bunch of strangers. And it just, I was just grateful to be in there. And Corey went and got food for us. And unfortunately, the food made me sick, so now I'm sick at the, the Guatemala border. And Corey's at the restaurant trying to make friends with people and seeing if we can get some people to help us. And um, it was just not our best day. Not our best day. But we felt very hopeful. Once we got to the hotel, we were like, you know what? It is what it is. Um, we have a saying that we like to say. It's called, uh, we say it's sweeter after struggle. So we kept saying that, like, it's going to work out one way or the other. We will get through this, and it's going to be better because of this experience and I do believe now having been through that that it was so the next day we got to sleep in a little bit because the customs office didn't even open until 10 and um that was really nice considering I was still sick the next morning so we got up kind of later I sort of stayed in the room as long as I could while he sort of I think he went to customs and started kind of doing the the process or trying to figure out what to do he actually met I think it was another American guy in line at customs that day and they were talking about their experience and he, the other guy told him that they had uh, got him for like $3,000 that he ended up paying um, because again, you're like in this situation and you don't really know how to move forward. So I guess, you know, if you have the means, you just, you can, you just do it. So he did. But uh, like I said, Corey, <laughs> Corey, like there's no way. So he started the process, and what ended up happening is one of our friends here in El Salvador is the same guy that we called when we were having issues with the um, the Mexico border. We called him and asked for his advice, and he, um, I think he grew up with one of the guys who worked with the El Salvador uh, Guatemala border, and so that guy called up to the Guatemala, the Guatemala Mexico border. And I guess in some way, my understanding is he in some way vouched for us and said like, you know, I know them or I will make sure that everything y'all wrote down is still in the vehicle when they arrive here. 
Um, there was some kind of conversation that happened, and uh, that guy vouched for us or put his neck out for us, which, like, super grateful for that. And so what ended up happening, so we finally could move through the Guatemala border, is we did not have to pay $1,000. Thank you. We did, I, we did pay a few hundred. I don't remember how much, but um, it was more than we obviously would have liked to. But uh, more importantly, we did not have to have a stranger ride in our car with us. But we did have to have a, um, they put like a big GPS unit and they like locked it onto the passenger seat. So they could see if we were stopping or if we, you know, because their big thing was we don't want you to sell stuff because if you sell stuff, we are owed taxes. So they put a GPS unit in our car so we could make sure that we didn't stop on our journey, that we went straight through like we said we were going to and that we didn't sell anything. And so um, we finally uh, we finally got through. During the, like, during the check, they made me get out of the car with our dogs and kind of like wait. I had to sit with the dogs feeling so sick for like an hour or two, but there were these sweet, sweet, sweet people who were like loving on the dog and they were feeding them. And it just, after that bad experience, it just reminded me how good people really are good okay like that was my that was why I wanted to do this from the beginning some people said we were crazy for wanting to drive but I truly believe that most people are good people and when I was sitting on the ground with our dogs feeling so sick and like just hot and like frustrated and sad and people were loving on our animals like that really reminded me of of that belief I needed that moment so that was really special so we get the GPS unit like locked on we like finally start going and I think it's three o'clock at this point so we remember we'd gone to Guatemala border at 10 a.m the previous day and then we left I think around like three or so the next day and uh it gets dark earlier um, in Central America than it does in Texas and so we only had about like two or so hours to drive and there the there's just one road that we had to take the whole way through which made it easier from a navigation standpoint but um like in Mexico, we could choose to take the toll roads, and it was nice because we knew we didn't have to worry about speed, uh, about potholes. But uh, the Guatemala road that we had to take like had a lot of potholes and um, things you really had to see before driving over them from a safety standpoint. So what ended up happening is we we decided that we were going to have to stay at a hotel because it was going to get dark. But the reason that's a problem is because the Guatemala border people told us you're not allowed to stop. We have this GPS unit because you have to drive straight through. You cannot stop and you need to go straight to the El Salvador border so we can like check all of your stuff and make sure that you didn't sell anything. But, you know, I'm still sick. Like I'm physically sick and uh, it's dark and we're tired and like Corey's super stressed out and we were like, we we have to stop. And we really didn't think it would have been a big deal, except at one point during our, our two-hour drive in the daylight, there was a road closure, so we had to take this sort of road around to get back to the main road. And, like, right when we exited the the main road, the border people were calling us and asking, what are y'all doing? You're off, you know, you're off track. So they're like, somebody is sitting watching to make sure that we're going straight through. So that was a little weird. So we were, we were scared to stop, but um, we called our friend again who had been get, kind of giving us advice. And uh, I guess this had happened to him, something like this had happened to him in the past too, where they put a GPS unit in his car. And he told us like, you know, you agree, you have 24 hours to get through Guatemala and I think you only need, it was like six or nine to get through. So we had plenty of buffer time, 
And he's like, you know, if Jess is sick and if you're tired and it's dark and you can't really see the street, like, it's not unreasonable to just tell them, like, we have to stop. Like, we're human beings. We just have to stop. And so he's like, they're not going to come get you. Like, they're not, they're not going to do that. So with his advice, we felt comfortable making the decision to actually stop for the night. I'm so grateful we did because we got some soup and I started feeling better and Corey got to rest. I mean, he had a very taxing, you know, mentally couple of days. Um, I was physically sick, but he mentally was just, he was beat from all of that. And so we, we spent the night at this really nice little place and uh, I'm, I'm glad that we did. But the next morning we woke up and the border people had called his phone, I think like 13 times or something. Um, which is crazy. So they were not, I don't think they were very happy that we stopped. But like I said, I mean, we, we felt in that moment, like we did not have a choice. We needed to rest, um, and continue the journey, uh, during the daylight. So the next morning we left and we were super excited because that morning we knew we would be in El Salvador by the end of the day. And we had friends waiting for us at the El Salvador border who were going to help us, um, kind of get through and, help with the paperwork and the translations and just help make that easier for us. So we were like super excited to see our friends. And um, the drive was like mostly uneventful, but like I said, the there weren't any toll roads and some of the roads, like some of the road areas were freaky in Guatemala. Like there were just parts of the earth that had just like dropped out and they hadn't fixed it yet. So you really had to watch. I'm really grateful that we didn't drive uh, during the night. Um, the only other really interesting thing was before we got to the El Salvador border, at the time there was a trucker strike happening. And so like, I would say like, I mean, quite a wait, like 10 miles, I would say like from the border, maybe five, five to 10, but like a lot, there were just literally like semis just backed up from the border. They just parked and, you know, they would like string up a hammock under there their rig and some people were playing cards and just it's like they were like camping together almost this is like miles and miles of these 18 wheelers so that was crazy to see and also you know sort of inspiring to see like all of these people coming together for like a common cause so that was wild um it was a little bit tricky though because the road was only two lanes so anyone traveling the direction of the 18 wheelers which we were you had to just like go into the oncoming traffic lane and sort of like drive um, and just sort of navigate over anyone who was coming your direction. So that was, that was kind of interesting. But, but yeah, we, we did that and we had agreed on a gas station to meet our friends at before crossing into El Salvador. And, uh, Corey and I talked about it after, but like it was, it was almost like emotional pulling into the gas station and seeing, we had three of our friends who met us there and it was like very emotional pulling in and seeing them after like, this long journey and 90% of the journey was really good. Like I'll say it now, I'll say it again. I would do it again, even with everything that happened. Um, but especially like the last 24 hours being so difficult and like us, we were calling our friends a lot and just really relying on them. You know, we actually had a plan to meet up in Guatemala and spend the night with them and then like enjoy ourselves. But that, you know, all of that sort of got messed up by the agreement with the Guatemala border patrol or the customs office. Um, so just pulling up and seeing them there was such a special moment for us. And we got out and we got to visit with them for a little bit and I got to meet our dogs and, uh, we kind of just came together before moving forward and going to the El Salvador border. But, um, the El Salvador border 
it, it took some time. You know, we had to check out of Guatemala. We'd get the big GPS unit taken out of our car from the Guatemala customs people. And then we started the process to check into El Salvador. I mean, customs is customs. It's going to take some time. So it, it did. It took some time. And especially because this is the country where we're staying, right? So they really needed to look through, like, in, in a way that Mexico and Guatemala really didn't need to look through our stuff because we were truly just passing through. El Salvador, they did. They needed to know, like, what was coming in, um, anything we were planning to sell, which is nothing, um, because they had to collect, you know, taxes and whatever. So there was a much more thorough search that happened at the El Salvador border. Um, and again, thank God our friends were there because everyone was helpful. It was like, you know, everybody's just opening boxes, helping uh, the woman, you know, document what she needed to document. And uh, it was pretty intense, but we, we laugh now at the end because... Once she saw, we keep saying, like, the smoker has its whole, its whole own storyline in this story. Like, it fell off the trailer so many times, it got beat up and, like, destroyed. And then when we get to El Salvador, like, the woman who's going through our stuff is very, I mean, she's going pretty detailed. She wants to know, like, in the suitcase, like, how many pieces of, you know, pants and, like, how, like, very detailed. And then we laugh because once she saw the smoker and it's, like, all beat up and, like, greasy and gross and, like, whatever... Um, she said to one of our friends, she goes, okay, just show me the new stuff. <laughs> she just, at that point, she didn't care anymore. She, she realized, like, we're not coming to sell all of our old nasty stuff. Like, we are using it for personal use. We're bringing it to our house. We're not coming here to sell a bunch of stuff. So um, the smoker kind of saved us a bit in, in the end, which was nice. So that saved us on some taxes, which was really cool. And uh, uh, we waited on the dog paperwork. Everything went pretty smoothly. And again, like, a huge thanks to our friends in our community in El Salvador for like taking the time to come meet us at the border and spend our whole day helping us get into El Salvador. It's like very, it's a very good example of like what the culture in El Salvador is like. People will clear their schedule to help you. Um, and not because they get something from it, it's because they want to and they are just good people and kind people and I don't know, they're just, they're just such good people. So I'm so grateful. Um, so after we got through the border, we made the two, we, uh, it was a two hour drive from the El Salvador border to our house. And, you know, in my mind, I thought, okay, we'll like get to the house. We'll just go, like, we're so tired. We'll just like go to bed and we'll deal with all of our stuff tomorrow or whatever. But again, like true to the El Salvador culture, what ended up happening is not only did three of our friends meet us at the border, but I think like three or four more friends were at our house when we showed up and like for the next two or three hours, you know, they had brought drinks, they had brought food and the next two or three hours, it's like this line of our friends unloading our trailer with us and everyone is smiling and everyone is having a good time and everyone's just happy and like, again, Corey and I talked about this afterwards, but each of us sort of stepped away because we felt so emotional. Um, again, for the fact that, like, we had had this difficult trip or whatever, and we had literally have this community of people waiting to help us, and they're happy we're here, and they're glad to help, and, like, no one's complaining, and they don't want anything. They're just happy to just be helpful. It was so, so nice and so special, and they just... It, uh, I don't even really know how to put it in words. It's just, it meant so much. So that was kind of our behind the scenes trip to El Salvador. And I feel like more than anything, I think 
sort of the theme of that trip and a lot of things about this chapter of our life is, um, you know, it has a lot to do with patience. And I'm not a naturally patient person, but I had to learn through that experience and a lot of things that I'm experiencing here that like patience is just a part of it. And honestly, I think it's a good teacher because it forces you to sort of slow down and be present and ask yourself, like Omar asked us, why are you in a hurry? Why do you need to get there? And just kind of snap out of your like rush, 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 got to get there, got to do this, got to do that. And just be like, why, you know, why am I in a hurry? Do I want, do I want to be in a hurry? Do I have to be in a hurry? Or am I just like, I'm setting almost like unrealistic expectations for myself to do something that I don't even really have to do. So I learned a lot about that. I learned a lot about humanity. Like I said, when I had like freaked myself out so much about making this trip and I had to really remind myself and tell myself most people in the world are good. And I felt that on that trip, even with all the crap and the handful of bad experiences or whatever, like 99% of the people that we dealt with, super good people, kind people, people want to help, people want to give, don't want anything in return. Really, really, really learned that. And then I also learned how to work through fear. That was another thing. And just the stories that we tell ourselves and the limits we put on ourselves because we create a narrative in our mind that we don't even know is true until we try something. That's definitely what I learned by choosing to drive through Central America. And I still, you know, when I tell people that, that I haven't met yet, a lot of people are like, oh, like, that's scary. And, you know, yeah, I used to feel that way too. But after doing the research and experiencing it, like, I would tell anyone, like, make that trip. That was so fun. I would do it again in a second. Again, even with all the crap, I guess I would say maybe don't pull a trailer with a bunch of stuff, like, if you can avoid it. Like, if you drive through, oh, it's exceptionally amazing. Beautiful, beautiful countries, kind people, really good food. It's awesome. I would tell everybody to do that. Um, the only other thing I'll say is, I just want to bring it back to like where this whole thing started, which was under that total lunar eclipse. And I look, I watch the moon more closely here now because I, I have more time and we haven't been, uh, we never set up our TV. So we've gone without TV for kind of two months. And I realize now how much time we were wasting back in Austin on just like watching TV. Um, and so now at night we'll kind of like lay in our hammocks and look at the sky and reflect. I've been watching the moon a lot more closely lately and paying attention to the cycles. So um, just again, starting that journey under that, full moon lunar eclipse just felt like such a sign that this, this was the right thing. But also looking at the moon makes me feel so connected to the people back home, the people here, people around the world, and just connected to humanity in general. And it's something that I want to strive for more in my, in my own life and deep connection. And we're, we're certainly finding that here with our friends here. We're finding that deep connection. And it's something that I want to talk more about on this platform. So I hope you enjoyed hearing the behind-the-scenes journey of our uh, Central American road trip. If uh, there's anything I didn't cover, any questions you have, if it's something that you're interested in doing, I'm happy to share more information with you, places that we stayed, um, any other tips, happy to do it. Hope you guys enjoyed listening to this, and I'll talk to you soon. Congratulations on finishing another episode of the Goodbye July podcast. If you want more, head over to jessicatoller.com slash podcast for show notes and any resources mentioned in today's episode. Don't forget to rate the show, hit subscribe so you never miss an episode, and share it with a friend. I believe in a world where we're all financially free, so let's help each other get there. Thanks again for tuning in, and I'll see you on the next episode of the Goodbye July podcast.